Welcome to Joe Picks an NFL Team. In this podcast, Joe, abandoned by his San Diego Chargers, is evaluating all 32 NFL teams to find out who he should root for next season. This week, we pick the team that will forever be the Super Bowl champion, in my heart, the Atlanta Falcons. (laughs) Fresh off their Super Bowl choke job, they get their first shot at redemption. But first, let's start with a simple question. Joe, why is this podcast different from all our other (laughs) podcasts? Dan. Happy Passover. Yes. Happy Passover, Joe. And this is our first ever live in-person podcast. Oh, my God. Joe, you're five feet from me right now. This is so different staring at your beautiful glistening head. Yes. It's amazing. So, Dan, what are we drinking? We are drinking this week a fuzzy cola, which is a combination of Coca-Cola and peach schnapps. Why did we pick this drink? Coca-Cola, of course, very famously began in uh, or was invented in 1886 by a Atlanta pharmacist, Dr. John Pemberton, and now uh, has become the probably most popular drink in the world, soda in the world. And thus our uh, drink is, I mean, I don't know why you didn't go with like a rum and Coke or something, but. Well, I mean, aren't like peaches fairly native to Georgia? Oh, that's a good point. <laughs> Joe, I'm not going to lie. I didn't actually research the drink. I know nothing about why you picked it. I don't think we need a lot of research here. Yeah. It's peaches right. and peaches and Coke. Yeah. Are, I mean, unless we could like get like a, a Wolf Blitzer like <laughs> drink stir, you can't get more Atlanta than those two things. I'm sold, Joe. I'm sold. I love it. And we're eating a nice crisp piece of matzah on the side to commemorate Passover. Yes. No breaded drinks this week. No. Completely chametz free. All right, that's some good matzo, Dan. Really perfect podcasting food. Very dry, very dry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, Dan, Atlanta Falcons, let's dive in. Well, before we get into the Atlanta Falcons, Joe, we've got to go into the mailbag, which since, and uh, let's get one thing out of the way first. We've gotten some in-person reviews of the podcast here going around the Seattle metropolitan area, and one complaint was our podcast is not released on a regular schedule, which... I think I disagree with. We do one podcast a week. It's going to come out on a random day in the week. It's going to be a special surprise to everybody. But due to our unusually long delay, we have a really extra stuff mailbag this week. So we've got some really, really good stuff for both the Atlanta Falcons and our prior episodes. Now let's get right into it. Our first series of emails that I'm not going to read this week, but I'm going to shout him out on the podcast because it's amazing. Tom Eaton a good an old friend is like live emailing after he binge listens to the entire podcast series i'm gonna wait until he catches up completely and just read and go through each one and apparently todd is tom has been cc'ing me on these emails to an email that i no longer look at so it's going to be a total shock to me but tom i'm getting them all and it's great just catch once you catch up we'll read them all it's possible that tom's been emailing me for years thinking i'm just ignoring him and uh sorry tom yeah when i told you tom was emailing you were very excited absolutely we're going to save you tom once you catch up but we're going to get started with feedback from jessica so our last podcast was about the houston texans it was very long but jessica who found us on Reddit, listened to the entire episode, and sent an email that was both very sweet and clarified a few really important things that we weren't sure about. So here we go. From Jessica. Hi, Joe. Funny your name is Joe. I use that as a fake name on Facebook. Wow. (laughs) Very very interesting, (laughs) Jessica. Anyways, listen to your whole podcast, Yes to the End. 
Great analysis. Oh, wow. Thank you, Jessica. But a couple of points. Our owner. He does have his faults, but he has been great to Houston. As you said, he is a Houston man himself, and there are so many charities that he supports and donates to here. And for the most part, they do really impact our little spot of the country. After Katrina, he matched the Red Cross donations up to $1 million. But yes, he is a very stark conservative in his political views. But Houston itself is very open and welcoming. Listening to the podcast, I feel like maybe we were a little harsh on the Houston ownership. I mean, it's sort of academic because they made it through the, to the next round. Yeah. But it's great to hear the feedback that he's a good guy in the community. And as for our rivalry, we were discussing on the podcast who we thought their biggest rival might be. We absolutely hate Bud Adams, the owner of the Titans. He not only took our team away because they would not build him a new stadium, but took the history along with him. We even tried to get it back when, when the Houston Texans came back, but Bud Adams would not budge. It's kind of like the Pharaoh story. It's, it's so precedent. <laughs> we want our team history. Yeah. No. Let, let my Oilers go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's sad to think that an Earl Campbell jersey would technically have to be in the Titans stadium. Mm. Yeah, when I heard this story which also came through in the Reddit forum, which I'll talk about later in the fan feedback section. It's like Dean Spanos on steroids. He's actually sounds a little bit worse because not only did he take the team, he took the name, but then changed the name and wouldn't give it back to the new Houston team. It's just very selfish. It's just vindictive at a certain point. Because we talked about the Browns in particular, and when the guy took the Browns, was it the Models or somebody else, took them to Baltimore... They at least gave the Browns back to the Browns. Right. And, you know, I mean, I don't know if the Browns, maybe they should have gotten a fresh start, but at least they got to continue being the Browns. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) That may be more of a curse than a gift. But no, it's a good point. And like the worst indignity of taking a team, but then basically essentially killing its history. It's pretty low. I'm sure once we get to the Titans episode. That will be part of... uh, Part of Bud Adams' grading system. Yeah. Jessica continues. As for the fans, oof, harsh man. I don't know what we said, Joe, but I don't know. I think we said there was no fan culture. Oh, okay. We do have one of the best tailgating cities in the country, and the barbecue alone would be worth it. I think we mentioned the barbecue. I don't think we did. Oh. But it was pointed out on Reddit, and I, I think we should have mentioned the barbecue, and I think actually would have helped its grading. I love good barbecue. Yeah, barbecue would be good, and she says other uh, there is actually a hotel that is right off the parking lot of the stadium. They have an entrance where you just walk up and right you know out of the hotel into the stadium. If you want a particularly interesting chip, come when we are playing against Kansas City. So much good food. Oh, that's like barbecue versus barbecue. Is that what Kansas City is known for? Probably. I don't know. We haven't, <laughs> we haven't done Kansas City yet. <laughs> And she also says, hey, if you have a heart attack from all the good food, the medical center is right there. I like that. I like that. They thought of everything. I mean, they just cart the people right off the field (laughs) and out of the stands. Loaded full of sodium-filled barbecue. But yes, I get it. Outside of the food, what is there good to look forward to? I think you would be hard-pressed to find anybody from an opposing team that did not have a good experience when here. Overall, we're a kind bunch of people, and we have the best time on our little corner of the internet. Oh, now she's talking about Reddit, too. I actually don't know where she's talking about the Reddit Houston Texans forum and the actual going to Houston, but she says, we're a kind bunch of people. It's all part of the experience, yeah. Dan. <laughs> best. All the Houston fans on Reddit have a good time on our little corner of the internet on Reddit. Stick around and you will see that we do have a good sense of humor brought to us by our two and 14 seasons. What what a nice email. Oh, hold on. A couple more lines left. Don't worry. I'm overly cautious about Texas tea as well. It can knock you on your ass, (laughs) Joe, which it seemed from afar like it did a little bit. And to finish off, 
I love the concept of the podcast. I will be going back and listening to the rest and the future ones. Interesting to learn something new. Jessica or Joe on Facebook. What a nice email. You know, we said in the last episode that, that when you listen to the episode for your team, that might be your least favorite episode. But look at Jessica comes in. She has an open mind. She listens, doesn't agree with everything we say, corrects us here and there. I loved it. Once you think about the Sweet 16 coming up, which is going to be very exciting. Aren't you going to consider that this, you know, the, the people yeah. are so nice to you? Uh, I mean, not that I would ask fans to like butter me up or anything, but you got Karsten with Dallas offering me free tickets. Oh, we've got more from Karsten. Karsten is our next in the mailbag. You have Jessica welcoming me and, you know, talking about the great barbecue. Texas is making a play here. Yeah. Look, everything's bigger in Texas. Let me just, Dan, let me just talk real quick about the fan feedback because most of it was in that vein from the Texan fans. Yeah, we've got to close the book on the Texan. Very welcoming, polar opposite of the Philly fans. They had an open mind. They're like, thank you so much for considering our team. And, you know, yeah, you're right. Our fan culture could be better, but thanks for talking about us. Uh, one other thing that I learned from the forum that a wildcatter, we weren't sure what that is, oh, yeah. is actually a name, a nickname for someone who looks for oiler, for oil. So, in a way, it almost would have been like an homage to the Oiler name to be the Wildcat. Well, wait, when a team is a when the team is called a Wildcat, is that because it's a like an, a, an animal or is it a, a like a short version of Wildcatter? My exchange had no follow up questions. Okay, <laughs> Jessica, yeah, email it. Can you explain the Wildcatter thing to us? I think it would have been a cool. And, I like that. And in fact, as part of the whole. Reddit conversation because this kind of went on its own without me. People were kind of like, yeah, it would have been cool to be the Wildcatters. It would have been so different and and unique. But obviously, it's obvious from Texan fans that what they may lack in unique culture, they make up for in devotion to their team. Wow, it's good. I, and certainly into welcoming other people Absolutely. into caring about their team. Absolutely. Though, one thing we should note is on the podcast, I believe I stated erroneously that Tony Roma was going to do three things next year. He was going to be on the Texans, be on the Broncos, or the Cowboys would pay him to sit. And none of those things happened. He will call Texans games, I'm sure. Wow. I don't know if they're going to get the national TV spot. (laughs) Tony Romo retired from the game, which really... It's a game changer. The one thing I would say about my analysis, which though it was completely incorrect... One part of it was correct that the Texans were the people that were most disappointed by Tony Romo's retirement because they really felt that uh, Tony Romo could have made the the Texans a competitor right out the gate. And apparently the Texans were a little more in the Tony Romo race than even the Broncos were. I will definitely be watching closely what happens with the Texans quarterback situation. Like we talked about last week, can only be an improvement. And as long as they don't sign Jay Cutler... I'll be excited. <laughs> yeah. That could be a J Cutler. I'm out. I thought you said there was a large, there was a, a, its own separate subculture that was really all in on Tom Savage. That's that's yes, that's right. There's a whole separate subreddit. That's just a Tom Savage fan subreddit. Someone, someone corrected us because I think you basically, I don't even think you said his name. You just said, Oh, and some scrub. Yeah. <laughs> and he started uh, a couple games, yeah. but Tom Savage got benched for Brock Osweiler. So, you know, that's bad. The Tom Savage era. In Houston is beginning. It could be. We'll see what happens in the draft. All right. On from Houston. Close the book. Houston. Great episode. See you in the Sweet 16. Great feedback. But now we're going back to Karsten, who's coming all the way back to the Dallas episode. And I don't know exactly what offer you had made to him, but I know we had discussed it was a little strange. You know, the Chargers are in the AFC. 
Cowboys are in the NFC. What are the odds they're actually going to play? Well, as it turns out, the LA Chargers are going to Dallas this year to play. They go once every four years, and it just so happens that next year, 2017, the game hasn't been scheduled yet because the NFL hasn't released the schedule, but we know that there will be a game The LA Chargers will be in Arlington. Yes. And... um, I, I went in to look back in the history to see if there was a little you know, rivalry there. And the last two times they played, so they played four years ago and eight years ago, Chargers won both games. So the Chargers are riding a little winning streak against the Dallas Cowboys. And of course, if I went, I'd be rooting against the Chargers because I'd be going as a Cowboys oh, fan. True. Oh, yeah. And I'll get actually to what Karsten said. I'll counter offer you this. And again, I don't remember what your offer was to him. That was so long ago. You'll receive my 2017 tickets to see L.A. play at Dallas to consummate your relationship with your new team by cheering against your old team. Oh, man, Carson is reading your mind. Great. Um, And he will give you the option to purchase seats at face value for any subsequent season. It's a great offer. I I don't know if that means the every four years. Well, I guess the every eight years that he plays the Chargers or any game. Any game, period. Wow. At face value. Wow. I don't know how much face value is. Could be a lot. Also worth noting, Karsten lives in Seattle. Is he traveling to Arlington eight Sundays a year? Maybe that's why he's trying to give away the tickets. <laughs> he's like, this is way too much travel, yeah. man. I only want to go to a game one game per year. Yeah. All right. I do like that, the rooting against your old team. That would really That's that is the that Karsten is spot on. That is the right way to consummate my relationship with a new team. Yeah. And um one last bit from Karsten. So I asked about feedback. We're now transitioning to our, our pre, our feedback about the Atlanta Falcons, where people have sort of sent it to in advance. And I, I talked about, you know, send in what your thoughts were. Karsten, he substituted thoughts that were not even his own from Bomani Jones. And Bomani Jones goes on. So this isn't, this is before the Super Bowl. This rant is after like week 10 or it's, it's after the Chiefs game where they lost on the two point reversion which is just brutal. <laughs> and he has a long rant about that. But Bomani Jones just goes on about a five-minute rant about how being an Atlanta fan is terrible. It's just disappointment. Your dreams are crushed. And, you know, watching this, knowing what happens in the Super Bowl, Ugh. you have to wonder if Bomani Jones was watching the Super Bowl and was like, yes, the, it, Atlanta's finally going to turn the page on this really tough history that isn't just the Falcons, though obviously the Falcons as we'll go through, have um, their fair share of very debilitating and negative things that happened in their past. But uh, you, the Braves, I mean, had a run of great teams after great teams and just could not. I mean, they won one World Series, but they should have won like four or five. And it's just so, so disappointing to be an Atlanta fan. And uh, you all, I'm not going to play it here. Wait, we didn't get the, the rights for it. But I encourage you all to watch this Bomani Jones uh, little rant if you want to see. I think that it's something that I've heard. No Falcon fan was particularly surprised by that Super Bowl. Tony, super fan Tony, in preparation for this episode, traveled to Atlanta and wow. asked people. That's, he's like our man on the street. Yeah, he's the journalist. The man on the street, Tony. So we have the in-person. But before we get to that, before we do that, Tony. Deep, deep reporting from the Joe Picks pod. He starts out, first thought, I wonder which was worse the Seattle loss to the Patriots or the Falcon loss to the Patriots. The the Seattle loss was this big concentrated moment where the entire Super Bowl swung so quickly from, oh yeah, Seattle, they're going to pound it in to, oh fuck, this interception happens and it's this chaos, this chaotic moment. And then, you know, they go from 
very likely to win to the game being over in one second. Whereas the Falcons, it's um, it's this premature celebration followed by the drip, drip, drip of terrible events. The Matt Ryan fumble, the Edelman catch, the overtime. I mean, the two-point conversion. The sack after the great catch. Oh, the, the, the can't even. It's just, <laughs> so he says, which is more torturous? Now, I was in Seattle watching the game when Seattle lost live in a bar. And I think it's worth remembering Seattle was coming back from being down. They were mounting a comeback. And in fact, I remember they they scored and someone in the bar, this is actually really sad actually, someone in the bar bought a round of drinks for everyone, a oh, round no. of shots, but they were still passing out the shots when the interception happened. Oh. So it went from being the celebratory shot to being people just drowning out their sorrows. But uh, the reality is they were down. They put themselves in this bad position where they had to come back. And the other thing, Tony, just to say, so first of all, it was a comeback. Comebacks are hard, less heartbreaking. And secondly, Seattle had just won the Super Bowl. It's true. They'd won the previous year. I don't think you can compare that suffering, but but they're both heartbreaking. Because I think if you were going to lose a heartbreaking Super Bowl, you'd you'd rather win the next year rather than having won the previous year, I think. The Spurs did that where they, where they sort of had the uh, game won against the Cavs and then they lost. But then the whole next year, it was just revenge and then they win the right. title right. and i think that that kind of they feel emotionally right. good again i think seattle is always a little disappointed that they didn't win the back-to-back when they sort of had it yeah of course it's disappointing but i'm having been a fan of a football team that has never won a super bowl as atlanta has also never won a super bowl you get so close and it's within your grasp and they just and never then you won. lose and you're like when are we gonna ever get a chance to win again yeah it feels so far away. It's it's just such an interesting thing because I, not even about the like drip, drip, drip of watching it. I mean, it was like watching a slow motion car crash where you're like, oh, well, they have to get the two point conversion and then they get it. And it's like, oh, well, uh, Julio Jones makes the most unbelievable catch you'll ever see. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, just kneel it out and kick a field goal. But I'm thinking there because I'm always thinking negative. I'm like, oh, they're going to like run the ball three times and then their kicker is going to miss, you know, the like 35 yard field goal. That would be the tragic thing that happens, and then right? and then they're going to lose. Right. Something right. tragic is going right. to happen. I mean, what actually happened was, <laughs> was way was more worse. tragic. Yeah. The point though that you bring up about the Spurs, the non-Tottenham Spurs, yeah. is a good one though because this history is still being written. Definitely, the way that Atlanta responds to this next year will be a huge factor in how this loss is remembered. But the NFL, I'll tell you, is not kind to Super Bowl losers. They're no. just a long history. And you don't even have to go further back than this season. The Carolina Panthers completely being terrible. It's not. It's it's just so demoralizing. Anyway, so my vote is Atlanta's is worth. But it's not not just basically from the game. Since I think the overriding factor I would say is Seattle had won the year before, so it's disappointing. Right. But you can say, hey, we we won last year, and they could say, and we're going to be good again next year. But living in Seattle, people still talk about not running it on the one yard line. Yeah. What are you going to talk? I mean, it's all like the time. losing is all the time. sadder than winning. They talk. Oh, yeah, you're right. They talk about that more than they talk about the Super Bowl win the year before. Okay, so here's what Tony says. I was just in Atlanta this past weekend. For research. For only. research. And he says. It's a commitment, <laughs> Tony. He says people can't even talk about it. <laughs> he says he's brought it up for a second, and the topic was quickly changed to Atlanta's football club. As in soccer. <laughs> yeah. People, yeah, sure. it's, it's, it's too much of an open wound. And he said that um, 
over the weekend, a bridge caught fire. You know, that highway caught fire and burned down. And it was the second worst thing to happen in the city this year. <laughs> so people from Atlanta are really going to enjoy listening to this podcast. I'll tell you, I'm, this is I'm the, with them. This is the last time we're talking about the Super Bowl. Lot. I was listening to the I'm, Bill I'm Simmons. Kidding. We're going to yeah. talk about it a lot more. <laughs> All he wants to do is talk about the Super Bowl. Because I'm sure if you're a fan, it's like the greatest thing that your team right. had this great right. comeback. I mean, it's just hard to see it from that way because I hate the Patriots so much. Well, at the risk of further alienating any Atlanta listener that we have, I was actually rooting for the Patriots during the game. Oh, you're a monster. Not for the first half of the game, but just at the point where it looked like a comeback was at least like moderately possible. It became because I really had no stake in it. At this point, you have to recall, I had no concept of the charges were going to leave. The Patriots... The Chargers the, were my team. The Patriots broke your heart in the game that you had beat against the Patriots, and they had the comeback yeah, yeah. against you. Whatever. That was a long time ago. and That was I, a long time. Dan, How? Dan, Dan, Dan. If I hated every team that broke the Chargers' heart, I would be able to root for no one else in any Super Bowl. You could root for NFC teams. Yeah, whatever. Point is, I really had no interest in it. I think I had put a little bit of money on the Patriots, but it wasn't enough for me to care about that. It was really about the fact that I really was wanting a good game at that point. And once this potential for a comeback was there, it's like, this would be amazingly historic. No, that's see. The thing is people are like, Oh, it's a bad game. It's a bad game. I hate the Patriots so much getting, watching the Patriots getting blown out is a good game. Had the Patriots lost the game 60 to nothing. I would have said it's the best Super Bowl of all time. The most interesting yeah, Super Bowl of all time. I don't have that level of hatred for the Patriots. God, if, if you end up with this whole process, picking the Patriots, Joe, we haven't even covered them yet. Yeah, I'm the, I'm, if they get a good score, I'm just quitting the podcast. I've lived in Boston before. I'll save the pictures of Donald Trump posing next to the quarterback and the owner. Look, Patriot fans are tired of winning. We've wasted. We're tired of winning. We've wasted <laughs> too much time. We need to get into this. Number one, you don't want a team that is too good or too bad. Oof. So the, <laughs> every I mean, this is going to be 85% about the Super Bowl. So... Uh, just for the, our basic things of, of all the Super Bowl odds of the teams we've done so far, the Atlanta Falcons have the best Super Bowl odds of anybody. They're one notch better than the Cowboys. They are 11 to one. So they are the best team we've covered so far in terms of chance of winning the Super Bowl. How many Super Bowls have they won in the past? Zero. Zip. I believe it's zero for 51, which is not good. So Joe, top third, middle third, bottom third. In the past 10 years... Win percentage. I think top third. Number of wins in the playoffs. Well, they made a playoff run this year, so it's got to put them at least in the middle. You know, but they, they haven't been deep in the playoffs. Yeah, I'm going to say middle third. Number of times they've made the playoffs. Yeah, I think top third. I'm looking at you in person. I'm just going to wait to see the, the happiness on your what face. Is, what? Three out of three. 100%. Three out of three. Joe, you nailed it. That was, I thought you were going to get confused on the number of playoff wins see i'm good at this the 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 vagaries of skype and the slow internet connection is the thing that messes me up yeah well maybe you were like looking at my screen somehow that's yeah that's true so their win percentage is 55.6 percent which puts them 10th so they're at the low end of the top third Mm -hmm. but they're right in there they've won three playoff games they've won two of them this year should have been three and then they won one game i think four years ago and so they've just won three, and the other times they did not win. I mean, that was sort of Matt Ryan's thing for a while. Can't win in the playoffs. Right, right. And they've made the playoffs five times. 
which is eighth. So they've right. um, they've been in the playoffs quite a bit in the past ten years. They've won a lot of games. They haven't had sustained runs in the postseason until this year when they had the most heartbreaking run ever. Because frankly, their first two games were wonderful. So Joe, you don't want a team that's too good or too bad. What do you think? The Falcons have this interesting thing going right now where they're in a way both simultaneously too good and too bad. Under normal circumstances, you would say the team that made it to the Super Bowl has the best Super Bowl odds that we've done so far would clearly be too good. Yeah. But on the other hand, they have this tragic loss that's so bad that it is defining for the culture of the team. There's a new Falcons team, which is the Falcons team that has the worst loss in in any Super Bowl. Yeah. That team has never existed before. And it's already within the bounds of teams that lose the Super Bowl, which already have a bad track record. And you know, Dan, that I'm a big fan of sports narrative, that I think that there's a logical order to sports. It's not random. There's only two possible narratives. It's that they have a terrible season next year or they have an amazing season and they win the Super Bowl. Nothing in between will happen. Well, I guarantee that now. I'll hold you to that, Joe. So, ergo, they're both either way too good or way too bad. And sort of both at the same time, which is not great for them. This is... (laughs) Am I I drawing this out too much? No, this just makes no sense. But I'm interested to see where you're going to go with this. It's a three. (laughs) I've thought about this a lot. This is insane. This is the only ranking I've thought about going into the podcast. It's a three. They're too good. They just made the Super Bowl. They're also too bad. They just lost the worst Super Bowl loss of all time. I have a feeling that you, the Falcons, were sort of built up in this pre-podcast world to be a team that you might consider. And I think you are smashing that narrative. No, no, no. Well, possibly. Okay. But I think think you've thought too much about this. I think we had too long in between the teams and you're overthinking this. Luckily, I have a short attention span. I've only thought about the first ranking. I don't remember the other 11. But that's ridiculous. All right. Number two, what do you think about the division? I know you can't. We've, we've, no, we've talked about this division. You I can't love, give it too bad. I love this division. Yeah. So we, we first talked about this division. That's, of course, the NFC South. It's got the Bucks, the Falcons, the Saints, and the Panthers. When we discussed this during the Buccaneers episode, you gave it a seven and a half. Right. And I actually think I was selling a little short on that because, if I recall, much to the chagrin of our Bucks listeners, I said, the Bucks are my least favorite team in the division. Yeah. Yeah, I love this division. I'm going to give it a little half point extra, 8 out of 10. All right. Number three, does the head coach mean a minimum threshold of competence? So he's Dan Quinn. He, on the Roto World rankings, he's number 13 out of 26. So they put him right in the middle. And their basic point is we don't still know what to think about Dan Quinn, which is... It, it, basically, the offense was the designed and, and executed by Kyle Shanahan, who sort of everybody agreed was this amazing rising star. And who's gone? Who's gone? So the postseason run and all, the whole offense, this sort of record-breaking offense, was from you know Kyle Shanahan. He was calling all the plays. He's done all this time. Who is now off as the head coach of the San Francisco 49ers. And Dan Quinn, apparently, he's a defensive guy. His defense wasn't that good. Um, I think you could just by looking at the Super Bowl argue a lot of things that could have been coached better. But at the same time, in the Super Bowl, they didn't stop being the Falcons. They sort of stayed being the Falcons. They stayed aggressive. They weren't taking all the time off the clock. That's not like I would have if I were him, I would have been like, 
just kneel the ball three times right. and kick the field goal. Right. Don't do it. But right. but he was like, you know what? We've gotten into this with Kyle Shanahan calling the plays and being aggressive. I'm going to keep calling the plays and being aggressive. And it flopped. In a way, you kind of feel bad because all that is with hindsight, knowing that it was a terrible decision. But like, how many Charger games have I watched where they get a lead, they slip into prevent yeah. defense, they try and run out the clock, and then and then they lose at the last minute. I mean, if that pass play, because I was thinking, oh, Neil, three times they're kicking like a high thirty-yard field goal. If they complete that ten-yard pass, okay, another forty seconds are going to tick off, and they've got a chip shot, right. and the game's really over. And the narrative is like, by staying aggressive, they beat the Patriots at the yeah. wrong game. Yeah. They just, I mean, obviously, if they run in for a touchdown, the game's definitely over. So, right. I mean, if they got two first down, the game's over. So, and well, literally at that point, if they did anything but the exact thing that they did, the game is over and they win. Yeah. Uh, So they hired, he uh, has replaced Kyle Shanahan with Steve Sarkeesian, who I think uh, for your was a coach of UW for a little bit. Yeah. He was definitely a coach at USC for a while. So I have some familiarity with him there. I never thought he was that great of a college coach, but. Maybe the, I think that's just because his results weren't very good. I remember when he was at USC, he was like one of Pete Carroll's underlings, and people were like, oh, this Sarkeesian guy is amazing. And uh, I don't think he ever got the results to follow, but he keeps getting promoted to better and better jobs. So I guess he's inheriting one of the elite offenses in NFL history where I think the cast of characters is going to remain generally the same. So if I, if I recall, I think he left amid some controversy at USC and at UW. Yeah. I think he might have left UW to go to USC or something yeah. like that. No, but then I think he was fired for like alcohol issues, like drinking too much or whatever. Like, Yeah, but doesn't that seem like a problem? Totally. But maybe he keeps getting jobs because he is a good coach who just has these like off the field problems. And like if he got his shit together, like good for him, right? I think there were a lot of errors in the coaching of that Super Bowl. But I will say I do appreciate a coach that errs on the side of being too aggressive than on being too passive. That that sort of didn't work out on the biggest possible stage. But I also think that there were a lot of other things that had to go wrong beyond the coaching. And you coach a team to, to the Super Bowl, and yes, it wasn't his play calling, but even sometimes it's a mark of a good coach to give enough space for your assistant to take the lead and to call the plays and to not meddle, especially in a Super Bowl or something like that. So it's got to be better than average, I think. And certainly a coach that brings it brings a team to the Super Bowl when they weren't expected to, got to get some credit. So I'm going to say six and a half out of 10. Okay. I think a very fair score. That's certainly in the upper threshold of mm-hmm. the, um, the coaching scores. Number four, do the players get in trouble with the law? Okay, Joe. Top third, bottom third, middle third, past five years. Very little context for this. No idea. Middle third. (laughs) Correct, Joe. Look at this. Crushing it tonight. Yeah. It's amazing. They're in the middle. But I am not going to talk about any of their recent history with crime. I'm going to talk about the most famous criminal thing, or perhaps the second most famous, depending on um, what you think about sports, of any thing that's happened in any NFL team in the past 15 years. I know what you're going to talk about, and this is a keep to leave all over again. Yeah, <laughs> keep to leave came in. By the way, in case you guys don't know what we're talking about, go to the 36 minute mark of the yeah. Tampa Bay episode. And, yeah. Oh, you were going to hear some stuff. Okay, go ahead. Okay. This is the saga of one Michael Vick. So 
and what I think is really interesting about this story, which I'm going to tell a very consolidated version of, but I'm going to talk about how the team responded to the Michael Vick situation. So when I was reading a bunch Which of is really the question, because we're exactly. trying to figure out how this franchise copes with on-field talent with off-field And problem. I think it's such a good uh, test case, because yeah. Yeah. Michael Vick, I was, I was reading these articles, he was more than the star quarterback. He was everything to the franchise his there was an article that said highest jersey sales that said a promotional thing about the falcons that didn't have a picture of michael vick was automatically rejected yeah arthur blank the owner would have michael vick play with his kids uh, he was just he was sort of like an extended part of his family the whole team and and sort of this the revitalization of this team is all due to michael vick who's just the star who's everything and not even team. I mean, NFL, I, I remember Vic was drafted in the same year, same draft class as LT, who I was obviously a huge fan of. But it was such an exciting time for the NFL. You have this great, young, totally electrifying running back. And then a quarterback who was really playing the game differently than almost any other quarterback had. And there was yeah. so much talk going into that draft of like, is he going to be a wide receiver? Can he be a great? And then he was great. He was great from very early on in his career, too. I mean, I would just play Madden with Vic. Oh, my God. He's just unbeatable. Vic and Madden with that 96 speed ranking so was good. just It wasn't until then I always played as RG3, too. And it was great. <laughs> yeah, that didn't last long. Yeah. That's why you still play uh, Madden, Madden 2012. <laughs> Anyways, so what happened? So when the charges get put on Michael Vick, which happened sort of in the middle part of the summer, Arthur Blank was out of the country. Arthur Blank comes back to the country, sort of goes to his ranch in Montana to get up to speed on the accusations. And Arthur Blank, based on his research, is does not attempt to coddle Michael Vick, which may have... Um, certainly there's some accusations that the people around Michael Vick and maybe even a little Arthur Blank sort of had created this atmosphere of Michael Vick that he could do no wrong. Right, that like, right. Certainly there were accusations that Arthur Blank made it very clear that Michael Vick was above the head coach in the yeah, Falcons. Like right. Michael Vick could just do whatever he wanted. Which for someone like Michael Vick was probably true his entire life. Certainly. Uh, but Arthur Blank, after figuring out the accusations, essentially wanted to do as much discipline as possible. So Arthur Blank immediately wanted to spend suspend Michael Vick for four games, which according to the rules at the time, was the most a team right. could suspend anybody. Roger Goodell convinced him to not do any disciplinary action and sort of wait until the trial sort of finished. And, and they asked Arthur Blank about it. And he said, look, Michael Vick needs to worry about you know his legal case here. Michael Vick right. does not need to worry about football. Michael Vick is not going to be part of the team until this thing is cleared up. And it's very easy to see this in retrospect now that we know what happened but at the time it was sort of such a shocking thing and it was like michael vick came out and said he was like in his press conference he's like i apologize to my parents but i am not guilty of this and in in interviews you know after the michael vick sort of remorse train happened michael vick was saying where he was like the lawyers just told them hey we'll get you off this we'll we'll right, take care of this right. just the same way that everything in his life had been taken care of Right. Deny, so, deny, deny, and we'll figure it out. Yeah. So he was like, I've got all these lawyers. They're going to figure it out. But of course, that didn't happen. I think Michael Vick eventually pleads guilty. 
and take some agreement when his like friends turned on him and Arthur Blank immediately, you know, cuts him or whatever. As soon as that happened, Arthur Blank eventually sued Michael Vick to get part of the signing bonus back. And he was sort of very aggressive about this because he argued that Michael Vick knew he was doing this activity, which violated his contract when he signed the contract, which he eventually won. Now, A, I don't, I don't know if that necessarily defends the franchise because they want to get the money back because A, they want the money and B, by getting the money back, it actually helped them in the salary cap. But still, basically the, the franchise and the ownership, it seemed that they, once the Michael Vick thing happened, they did basically everything right in terms of how you would deal with it, which is they might've created the situation that sort of allowed Michael right. Vick to feel entitled right. to do this. But once it happened, they, he did not try to defend it. He did not try to, he, he did not try to say, Hey, I, I don't care about this dog fighting. Like the guy's so good at football, which at the time, Michael Vick is still an unbelievable player. And the franchise suffered for quite a while. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it set them back. So it wasn't like they had some other quarterback waiting in the wings and you could say like, well, they kind of were getting past Vic anyway. I mean, it was, there was a gap between Matt Ryan. And he had and this Vic. contract that was like a hundred yeah. million dollars or something. So yeah. it was, it was just killing them on the salary cap. I mean, first of all, to have like a somewhat, I don't mean this to be a contrarian take, but like, I do kind of feel bad for Michael Vick. I like dogs. Don't get yourself in trouble, Joe. I like do- dog fighting bad. Let's just get that out of the way first. It is interesting how the NFL treats dog fighting as worse than domestic violence or like in some cases, actual murder and even like the culture surrounding the NFL that like this was outrageous where like then you have players allegedly shooting other people and you're like, oh yeah, well, you know, maybe he didn't do it. Like, yeah, yeah. like there's, we didn't talk about it, you know, during the Philly episode, but I did feel like you know, we live in a society where it's hard for people to reintegrate after incarceration. And that was like on full, there was like a mini conversation about that happening within the NFL, which can happen with sports. Sometimes you talk about like cultural things. And here you have a guy who showed remorse, went to jail, came out and people were just livid that the Eagles signed him. I know that's not really about the Falcons, but it made me on the other side of it. Like, well, no, I mean, this guy was punished and he came back and people should be able to resume life after that. So I think this is actually a really good example of I would like to see NFL teams do this more where they say something really bad happened. It's important that we don't think that that action is representative of our franchise. So we're done with this guy. Michael Vick obviously could not play football for the Falcons while he was in jail. So it's like the Falcons, even had they done something different, the end result would have been exactly the same. They really had no choice. But in, in, in other cases, teams do have a choice. Uh, and oftentimes team will, teams will look the other way. Teams will always be like, our player is probably innocent. But from what you're saying about Arthur Blank's reaction to it, it doesn't seem to me like had, had there been as much evidence as there was, but Michael Vick got off on like some technicality that they would have been like, welcome back, Vic. Yeah. You Arthur know. Blank seemed very... Uh, I think he felt well, noted, very noted, betrayed. Noted dog lover, Arthur Blank. You yeah. know, it's part of it now. Uh, uh, yeah, no, this seems like a good reaction. Uh, I don't think that... Um, I think you're right that they obviously created the circumstances that made Vic what he is, but every NFL team does that. Every NFL team, I think, coddles and and holds their... If they have a player of that caliber would do the same. It's like Tom Brady. 
Right. He is a franchise. But before before you come out with a score, I do have to say, I mean, with the Bill O'Reilly thing, circling, you know, Bill O'Reilly taking his uh, quote-unquote planned vacation today, <laughs> that was basically Bill O'Reilly being accused of sexual whatever. Like trading sexual favors for airtime, basically. The, basically, the, the like... Gross. smoke or the fire in the situation is that they have all these these settlements that were paid out and the settlements are sort of implicit guilt in the situation and certainly right. maybe right. if it's one settlement it's one thing but there are like five settlements so i have to say arthur blank does when he first uh, became an owner in the nfl he there was a sexual discrimination lawsuit brought against him by a former falcons employee that Arthur Blank said he would never settle and said he would like zealously contest the claim, the claim which was by an employee who, uh, a female employee who served less than a year as the Falcons vice president of HR, filed the lawsuit claiming Blank occasionally condoned a work environment where women were treated as sex objects and denied promotions to better jobs if they had young children at home. Hmm. And this was settled for an undisclosed amount, which people suspected was, you know, a fair amount of money. Yeah. So yeah, it is, you know, Arthur Blank is, uh, when we get to the owner section, I just wanted to put in a little, you yeah, know, that seems like something thing. we should, we should talk about there too. But, um, yeah, that's not great. It, it's, I, I would and, say it's otherwise a comparison of very, what you read about Arthur Blank is generally very positive. And this yeah. happened 14 years ago. And I don't know, I don't think it's like a Bill O'Reilly situation where it's like he's just doing settlement after settlement after settlement. But I, I just had to put the, I have to give all you. No, it's, it's great due diligence. And also probably something that is true in a lot of NFL franchises, but you know, people oftentimes aren't, aren't willing to come forward with these things because it's it's hard to make an accusation like that. But anyway, uh, look, Falcons seem like they are doing the right thing, have had issues trying to deal with them well, but other problems possibly in the franchise in front office. Let's let's just go with a five out of 10. All right. Right down, down the middle, right down the middle. That's good. I mean, in this category, we've got a couple tens for the teams that we consider very upstanding and then a couple of very low scores for the teams that are very bad. And this seems right in the middle. Yeah. Number five, can't root for a team that Rob roots for. So Rob lists the Falcons as his... 23rd ranked team. Wow. So fairly low. That's impossible. I mean, it's just like... And Rob says... What to hate about the Falcons? Well, I, I'll tell you. The Falcons were never good enough to hate until this year when they beat the Packers. Wow. And Matt Ryan lucked his way into the MVP. Oh. Now I'm rooting for them to fail. Oh. Well, I mean, if he's an Aaron Rodgers fanboy... I can appreciate that. I wouldn't say Matt Ryan lucked his way into the MVP. Matt Ryan played great all season. I think he's going way back. Like Matt Ryan lucked his way into it by like, you know, having good genetics and being raised <laughs> yeah. in the right household. And of course, like being born in America itself is a very lucky thing. Well, I, Kyle Shanahan was white also privilege. had a lot to do. Yeah. Matt Ryan has a lot of white privilege. So, you know, he lucked his way into it. But look, uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers would have had it. But if he sort of got caught in Olivia Munn's web, and she sort of was a big distraction. But he now, won't have that next year. Yeah. I, I, think, I mean, 
buy, buy low on Aaron Rodgers is what well, you're saying. Well, see, that's why he's, I guess he's probably considering that for why Matt Ryan is lucky. <laughs> like Olivia Munn was sent. Yes. By the way, yeah. if we read an article that was like Matt Ryan set them up, then. Then it's not luck. Yeah. Then it's skill. <laughs> yeah, actually it's true. <laughs> so Rob dislikes the Falcons. Immediately makes me like them more. Seven out of ten. All right. Boom. Number six. Is it a city you would enjoy visiting to go to the game? I've been to Atlanta. You've been there. When? I've been to Atlanta like maybe a year ago for work. The downtown was very interesting. I don't know if this was just where I was staying. 80% of the buildings were connected by like sky bridges. 80% of the buildings? At least in like the, the immediate vicinity of so my hotel. So you can hotel. just go in one building and you can just go into every building. You could never leave. It was like living in the future. Wow. I didn't see that on TripAdvisor. <laughs> People weren't talking about it all being one building. They didn't talk about the uh, bridges. I mean, Falcons, Falcons fans, please, you know, explain the building. I mean, at the time I thought, well, you know, it's in the South. It must get very humid yeah. in oh, the summer. Absolutely. And how grateful would you be for like, oh my God, I can just traverse these buildings in a Spider-Man-esque fashion. Okay, well, we'll see if you went to any of these places that I've highlighted, Joe. Gone to the TripAdvisor, of course. We'll start with... Is the downtown Hilton Conference Center on the TripAdvisor? I mean, it might be, but <laughs> okay. I, I did not highlight it. I highlighted places that I thought would be interesting and relevant for you, Joe. Let's hear it. Start us off. The CNN Studio Tour. Wow. Joe, you love news. Absolutely. Uh, one of the reviews... I, I would love to pose with a Wolf Blitzer wax doll. Yeah, I don't if know. If that is there. It might be. The review said, this is definitely a touristy thing to do. The tour was cool as it showed how a news network operates. When seeing what goes into this, I can definitely say this is not a fake news network. Wow. That's it's a, a real topical, topical so review. If every single person in America went on the CNN studio tour, they could sort of regain their uh, credibility. Yeah. Trump needs to go on it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm in. I love that. Okay. Number two, the Georgia Aquarium. We always highlight aquariums, but the Georgia Aquarium, when I researched... Which, I mean, for a landlocked city... Is Georgia is landlocked? I mean, what, what body of water would Georgia be next to? The Atlantic Ocean? Hmm. What, you went there? Did you see the ocean? No, I didn't see any ocean, but I, I was not looking either. Okay, well, the ocean is something you sort of just see. Anyways, Georgia Aquarium, when I looked at the USA Today ranking of top aquariums in the country... It was the number two aquarium in the country and the number one aquarium when uh, sorting by NFL cities. It was only behind the Monterey Bay Aquarium, which no NFL teams anywhere near that. So the Georgia Aquarium also is the largest aquarium in the world, Joe. Whoa. And its claim to fame, which I think is really cool, is it has the only whale sharks on display in the United States. The largest fish in the world, which is pretty cool. So just a um, little geography fact here. Neither the state of Georgia or the Republic of Georgia are landlocked. But Atlanta is not next to a body of water. Wait, what, what? of course the state's not landlocked. Well. It's right up against the coast. Yeah, I'm just saying Atlanta is pretty far away from the ocean. Is there like a river that goes to it? No. There's no river? No. How do they get stuff in and out? Well, roads probably. No, that's not how they did stuff in the olden days. Atlanta fans. Write us in. No, there's a little... How do they get stuff oh, actually, to Atlanta? You're right. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, that's surprising. If I was drawing the geography of Georgia, I would have really failed miserably. 
Boy, I thought Atlanta was much closer to the coast than that. Okay, and Joe, the final one, the one I've been saving, the world of Coca-Cola, the Coca-Cola Museum. Positive reviews. It's a fun and quick visit to the location. It's a very brief tourist attraction of our iconic American soda, Coca-Cola. Parents, be warned. At the end of going through the world of Coca-Cola facility, there is a taste test soda drinking area with at least 150 variations of sodas that Coca-Cola produces and sells globally. Kids will end up with a sugar high like no other <laughs> once you leave the location. Is now a good time to mention that I prefer Pepsi? <laughs> Joe, you are a noted Coca-Cola fan. I'll read the negative review, though, which I find is funny, which is the same... Uh, The negative review is based on the same aspect of the positive review, just sort of in a different light. If you like soda, you'll be in heaven. But truth be told, there's only so much you can do. And you very quickly get tired of trying to unstick your shoes from the nasty floor they can't keep clean. You are fighting a lot of crowds here, too. But that means it's actually a working fact. Wait, wait, was that where the sticky floor is at the CNN Museum or the Coca-Cola Museum? Well, it might just be everywhere (laughs) in Atlanta. All of Atlanta. That's hence hence the tunnel between buildings. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, Atlanta is my favorite southern city that we've done so far. A lot to do there. I think it has a nice culture. I would love to go back to Atlanta and do some of those tours. Seven and a half out of ten. All right, Joe. You'd love the Coca-Cola tour. Come on. Yeah. You could try Coke Zero. You could try, like, Coke. Who knows what versions of Coke they have that are, like, only available there that are in testing. There's a world of Coca-Cola that I don't know about. Does the team have player or players you could put on your fantasy roster? Coming off, we've got a series of strong scores leading into this one. And Joe, they've got a lot of great fantasy players on the Atlanta Falcons. Yeah. You've got everything at every position. Boom. Let's just get started with the most meaningless position, the kicker. Yeah. They've got the number one kicker in the league, Joe. Matt Bryant. Yeah. You want other big name positions? Quarterback? Boom. Matt Ryan, number two quarterback in the league. You want running backs? All right, we got the number six running back, Devonta Freeman, and we've got the number 20 running back. I mean, their backup running back is still a running back two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Julio Jones, the number six wide receiver, 1,400 yards. Didn't score that many touchdowns, actually. And I'll tell you, Taylor Gabriel, their sort of backup wide receiver, towards the end of the season, I picked him up in a few leagues. He put up a few massive weeks towards the end of the season. Like, even their random players are good. Now, I mean, worth noting, new offensive coordinator yeah. could be could be trouble for some potentially overvalued Atlanta players in the fantasy draft. Could be. I mean, I the thing is, I feel like Matt Ryan for like the last five years has always been like the 10th quarterback off the board. And it's always like you sort of know, you know what why? you're going to get with Matt Ryan. Do you know why? <laughs> is there any player, potentially person alive, more boring than Matt Ryan? <laughs> Like, you know how much more I would like him if he were like, if we found out that he was like a like extreme sexual deviant, <laughs> like who had these like weird perversions all within the realm of like legality, of course. But like, I would become the biggest Matt Ryan. There's nothing. Is that is that how you define somebody who's interesting, Joe? It'd be something. What if he was like a novelist or something? Or if, he had some other hidden talent. Like, what if he was I, like the best musician? Wait, I just listed one potential thing. I'm not saying that's the only thing. But you picked one that is very unlikely to come out publicly, whereas other ones, who knows what he does? Who knows what his favorite hobbies are? All I'm saying. What do you think his favorite hobbies are? What are like boring nothing. hobbies? What he does is when the season's over, he has like a, a lazy boy chair in his house. He sits in it. And then like 20 weeks later, he's like, all right, let's ready to go. I'm, I'm in. If we found out 
I'm not I'm not making this accusation on the podcast. If we found out that he were a robot, would you be that surprised? Yes, I would be very surprised. I would not be. Okay. I would not be in the least. Because, you know, I thought his nickname was because he was clutch, was, which is like ridiculous because he hasn't been clutch. But apparently his, <laughs> his nickname was because he just really liked Natty Ice. And so they called him Matty Ice. I feel like rhyming nicknames you have to just take with a grain of salt. Is it that true or does it just rhyme and it sounds catchy? I like the nickname. I think it's a good nickname. Look, we don't need to belabor this. Okay, Julio Jones is great. I don't like Matt Ryan. Julio Jones like missed a few games. Julio Jones, though, as a person yeah. on my, my many championship fantasy teams, he had one week where he scored two points, and then the next week he scored like 50 points. He was really like... Yeah, that inconsistency is tough. But though. when he scores 50 points, it's just so great. You know, it's like doesn't yeah. even matter what your other players do. Look, obviously, if I were a Falcons fan, I would have a lot of people... In fact, I think someone in our league one year just took all fact. All Falcons players. So clearly there would have been pretty good this year. Yeah. No, I think uh, there's there's a lot to like for fantasy rosters, despite uh, my skepticism about Matt Ryan. Uh, it, it's not about his on the field play. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this is like a nine out of ten. Nine out of ten. Wow. Above the Cowboys. I think I think that's right. Yeah, I think they're the best. I don't know what what team has just more consistency across every position. Number eight is the owner a monster. Their owner. We've we've. Touched on him a little bit, right? but we're now going to do a really, really deep dive, Joe. Noted, Arthur Blank. Noted Jew. Jew. Born in Flushing, New York. He graduated from Stuyvesant High School in New York City, which is sort of a big rival of the high school I went to. He became an accountant, moved up the corporate ladder. He worked for a company called Handy Dan, quit because, or maybe was fired. And this is a question. Do you know what his claim to fame is, where he found, where he made all his money? No idea. Because I had no idea no either clear. of this. He was the co-founder and the CEO for a long time of one of a place, I guarantee you, you've been a hundred times, Home Depot. Home Depot? He co-founded Home Depot. Wow. He worked at this hardware store, Handy Dan, and either was fired or quit or whatever, and then with a buddy said, we can make a store that's even better than this. Noted terrible employer and anti-union home depot but okay yeah, yeah. yeah well <laughs> it was only founded in 1978 you know, i worked for home depot you did for two weeks i got fired wait you were yeah depending on what time you when you worked there he might have been the ceo it would have been 2000 i think he was the ceo in 2000 uh i was hired wait joe this changes everything this is a huge disclaimer You've worked for the person and the team. So we need to disclose before this podcast that uh, I've actually previously been been employed by Arthur Blank. Yes, yes. Uh, Did anything inappropriate happen, Joe? Is that why you got fired? Well, we were hired, me and, me and a group of friends, is right after high school, we were hired to build barbecues during the summer. Big summer rush, and they want to sell these pre-assembled barbecues. Yeah. And we were paid hourly, and we would build, between like four of us, maybe like six or seven barbecues a day. And there was one guy that was paid per barbecue and he would build like 30 in a day. And I'm pretty sure every barbecue we put together was, uh, was faulty and broken. So yeah. we were probably justifiably fired. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Although it's, it's, it's all about incentives, Joe. It's a great two weeks. I, I, I had a great time. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. Co-founded Home Depot as a CEO for a while. Uh, he, he didn't become the CEO until like 20 years after he founded it. The other guy did, but you know, he was CEO he was very highly uh, regarded CEO, self-made billionaire, worth $3.1 And I'm just going to read a little ditty about him. 
just to, because very rarely have I found ditties like this about the owners. But this is basically talking about him as turning around the Falcons. Apparently, when he bought the Falcons, they were sort of uh, in the dumps. And here's a little thing about how he sort of turned them around. Arthur Blank had pretty much done everything right as an NFL owner. After retiring in 2001 from the Home Depot, which he co-founded, Blank spent $545 million to purchase the Falcons, a team with an apathetic fan base and no identity. To fix that, he infused the floundering franchise with his high-profile and hands-on style, despite warnings from owners like New England's Bob Kraft, noted Donald Trump supporter, that public scrutiny would make his approach difficult. He slashed the ticket prices, offering 10,000 season tickets for $100. And he had the Georgia Dome parking lots made more conducive to tailgating. The uniforms were updated. Yeah. And the already state-of-the-art practice facility was upgraded. So he just came in and just gave a jolt to the place. He just gave away cheap tickets, which I love. I think that's a great idea, making it more conducive to fans. Yeah, no, that's great. It's interesting. I feel like we can draw a line between the owners that inherited teams or even inherited fortunes, maybe not teams, yeah, uh, and the ones that, that worked their way into their money. It seems like that approach with, it, with Atlanta can only come from an owner that had built a business before. Yeah. And, and that wasn't afraid to like do, shake stuff up and be like, I, can, I don't have to worry about what my parents think or whatever. Right. And didn't rely on handouts from a city or wow. extortion. Well, okay. <laughs> all right. All right. You know, but actually did things to actually appeal to a fan base. Yeah. That's good to hear. Yeah. And um, other things about him. Uh, he signed on to the giving pledge. So he's committed to giving away at least 50% of his net worth to charity. The question is, though, I wonder if the Falcons themselves become more than 50% of his net worth. Is it like. He's got to give away be, partial ownership of the Falcons. Yeah, it's to charity. Be by yeah. <laughs> he is. I read things talking about him as a person who leans Democrat politically, but he seems like he donates a lot of money to candidates on both sides. I think he donates a little more to Democrats, but like, for example, in the 2012, 2012 election, he donated money to both Mitt Romney yeah. and Obama, which is like... That's just good politics. He's yeah. covering his basis. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's just uh, gives to everybody. He made a he's joke... He's like, I really don't want Jill Stein to win, so I'm going <laughs> to give to both of you guys. <laughs> Noted Jill Stein hater. Yeah. Did not know donations to Jill Stein. <laughs> he made fun of Bob Kraft in like a Super Bowl interview where they were asking like, who's the most famous person in your phone right now? And when he answered, you know, somebody stupid. And then when it was Bob Kraft's turn, he interjected and was like, oh, Bob Kraft's it's his buddy, Donald Trump. And uh, nice. everybody had a good he's chuckle. He's trolling Bob Kraft. Yeah, he's trolling Bob Kraft. We get to the stadium funding. So they... Played in the Georgia Dome since he inherited it. But the Georgia Dome uh, this year got replaced by a new stadium, Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And this stadium, very, very expensive stadium. Mm. $1.4 billion has been the total cost right now. But Atlanta has been on the hook for a large um, dollar amount, which is they probably put between 200 and 300 million dollars directly into it and they're sort of on the hook for another 200 and 300 million dollars over the life of the stadium which is by far the most public funding on a aggregate basis that's ever gone into a stadium but on a percentage basis right. it's actually quite right. below average he arthur blank himself has essentially put up you know the stadiums ended up cost 1.4 billion dollars i think arthur blank has put up 
$800 million or something, or, you know, some sort of private investment and stuff like that. And I think the city only put up two or 300 million. And then it's not great, but also from my recollection, they never threatened to move. Yeah. I don't think they, th- this I wasn't think, under threat of like, if you don't do this, we're, we're leaving. Yeah. I think he just wanted a really nice stadium. And one thing that you might, and at like, a certain point, if cities choose to do that, I think it's a bad decision, but whatever they make choices. Right. Yeah. And if it's not under threat of like, we will leave if you don't do this, then like that's not really on the owner. It might be on the, some politicians for making what yeah. I think is a bad decision, but it's not really on the owner for doing that. Well, I think one thing that also might, I think he did sort of the opposite thing. Instead of saying, if you don't give me the money, I'll make a team leave. I think he said, if you give me the money, I'll make a new team appear. And he owns the expansion Atlanta United, who wow. joined the MLS. And much like your Seattle Sounders, they play in Mercedes-Benz Stadium too. So the stadium bringing a new team he's it's an expansion team in the mls which we've already got from reporter on the ground tony that fans are excited about is giving them something to drown their super bowl sorrows in so they've got the atlanta united playing in the same stadium as the atlanta falcons which i think is cool and i think if the fans in atlanta embrace if they embrace the soccer team it's i've been to a sounders game with you and it's really cool that so many sounders fans fill up quest stadium or whatever your stadium's called now. CenturyLink. If if you were a Falcons fan, picture yourself as a Falcons fan. That's not hard, Joe. Yeah. I love the Falcons. You'd like Arthur Blank. Yeah, I think is there, so. Is there really a, are there Falcons fans that don't like Arthur Blank? Let me tell you, he's not a monster. He should definitely not he should definitely create an environment in his workplace that is not sexually harassing women. That was in two thousand three, as far as I saw. I right. didn't see any rehashes of that. Home Depot should be better to their workforce. But, but Joe, all those Olympians, I always see that in the uh, <laughs> Olympics commercials. But as far as NFL owners go, it's pretty good. I will say, I will never forget the image of him standing on the field at the end of the Super Bowl, thinking he was going to win. I mean, he came down from the owner's box. But he did that oftentimes during the, during the regular season. He's he, not afraid to like mix it up. You know? he, he, thought he, was, he thought he was getting his hands on the Lombardi trophy. Yeah, so did everybody. That was a pretty sad moment of early celebration, but it doesn't make him a monster. Look, seven, eight out of ten. Eight out of ten. Okay, good. Seven out of ten is too low. Believe me, there are, there are some bad owners that we've already dealt with. He's got a, one knock against him. And, you know, one thing I'll say, because I have it in my notes, which I think is kind of interesting, um, but hopefully it won't change the score, but they... There are two teams in Atlanta, obviously two major sports teams, uh, the Braves and the Falcons, and the Mercedes-Benz Stadium is right in downtown. Like, it's like, I mean, I assume if you're in the middle of downtown, you can just look and see it, and it's right there. You could get to it through a complex tunnel system yeah, any building in Atlanta. You don't have to go outside. But the Braves Stadium used to be there, but because the city sort of gave so much money to this to make this stadium... When the Braves came saying, hey, we need a new field. I think their old one was Turner Field. Yeah. The, the people were like, no, we've given enough money for stadiums. <laughs> and they moved Turner Field or they got rid of that. And they play at this new park called SunTrust Park, which is 10 miles n- north of downtown. So it's not even like they needed. Is it still in Atlanta proper? I don't think so. I think it's in a different county. So they needed money from another city. This city's tapped out. We need to go. I think that's exactly else. what happened. Yeah. And I think some people who are Braves fans 
might sort of hold the grudge a little bit for. So Ted Turner like hates Arthur Blank. He might. Yeah. I don't know. It's about we'll have to see <laughs> if if the CNN studio has the like tube, you know, exactly. has the thing. Yeah. That's how you would know if they like each other or not. It's, it's the one building cut off. No, don't update your score. But that's no. uh, noted. Noted dog lover and Jill Stein hater. Yeah. Eight out of ten. Anybody, anybody's an end of, enemy a, of Jill Stein. Both those things are fine with yeah, me. Friend of ours. Okay, number nine. Rate the uniform and the logo. So we'll go back all the way in time. Now, when I read my thing before, it talked about how Arthur Blank sort of updated the logo, and I don't know um, if they've updated again since then. But I, I think um, you know their colors and their logo is um, you know probably pretty has a pretty modern edge to it. But I'm going to get into sort of the history of the team shortly after insurance executive Rankin Smith brought the football team to Atlanta, a local radio station sponsored a contest to name the team. 1,300 people combined to suggest more than 500 names, including the Peaches. Mm -hmm. Wow, how would you like that? The Atlanta Peaches. It's not really that aggressive of a football team name. No, no. The Atlanta Vibrants, the Atlanta Lancers, the Atlanta Confederates. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Dodged a bullet there. That's really... Dodged a bullet there. (laughs) The Firebirds and the Thrashers. And Falcons was also submitted by uh, many people, but it was the uh, name was eventually chosen. The person who submitted it that won the contest was school teacher Julia Elliott, who has declared the winner for the reasons, quote, the Falcon is proud and dignified with great courage and fight. It never drops its prey. It is deadly and has a great sporting tradition. Wow, that's great. I, I would like the Atlanta vibrance because I'd appreciate the only adjective NFL team. Hmm. What about the what about the Browns? No, I know we know that it's was named, named after, after a, a person. person. Yeah, it's a proper name. But I think most people don't know that. All right, so what's another adjective? See, I don't know. Yeah, the vibrance. Yeah. Uh, no, Falcons. Look, anyone who wants to go back to the two minute and forty five second mark of our Tampa Bay episode Uh-oh. can hear us settling the great ornament ornithological debate well thanks to falcon elizabeth the ornithology elizabeth PhD. C. great we we were debating whether the falcon would beat the eagle falcon wins and you know falcon wins julia elliott of nearby griffin she's giving us more data i didn't know it i didn't know the falcon never drops its prey but i like that too bad the falcon in the case of the super bowl did in fact drop their prey yeah no you know the thing that i like about the falcon is that falcon's very fast very aggressive yeah the team actually plays up to the standard of that logo. Yeah. They, they, they have the style that you would picture a Falcon. I would say they have it, certainly this year's team, both on offense and defense. I mean, their defense was a lot of young guys who were just flying around the field. And yeah, they gave up a lot of big plays, but they also made some really amazing plays. Yeah. I like the logo. I like black jerseys. I like the mascot. Pretty great. Eight out of 10. Second highest so far, Joe. Boy, I thought you were going to come in with an animus against the Falcons. So you were ready to just say, this isn't going to be the team for you, even though all the stars are lined up and it should be the team for you. But you're, you're, you're giving it pretty no, you know, fair I'm, scores. I'm, I'm nothing if not fair. You're, you're fair. And I'm evaluating these things one at a time. You're being very fair. I'm, I'm happy that you're, you're not taking it out on them because you really got off to a rough start, Joe. Okay, number 10. Do they play a style of play you would enjoy watching? There's not much more to say other than that their offense this year 
was incredible, historically good. I have one ranking that says this. they rank this offense as the fifth best offense of all time. They put the best show on turf Rams at number one, the 2007 Patriots, 18-1 and one Patriots. At number two, they put the 2013 Broncos, you know, mm, when Peyton yeah. Manning came back. Yeah. That was amazing. At uh, number three, and the 2011 Packers, as I'm sure your friend Rob remembers, when that was when Aaron Rodgers was at the peak of his powers and – they had every offensive. It was amazing. I mean, Aaron Rodgers finished the season with a 122.5 rating, which is the highest single season <laughs> passer rating. It, it was incredible. But then number five is this year's Falcons. So just for some stats, they had 34 points per game. Second place was New Orleans at 29. So they have five more points per game than the next person. Yards per play, 6.7. Next is Washington, which is pretty crazy. The My Washington Football Club, what an exciting offense. We had 6.4, big gap there. Yards per pass, 8.9. My Washington Football Club was second again, 7.8. And I know these are just a bunch of random numbers, but the difference between the Falcons and... <laughs> why, why was your team so close to the Falcons yet so much worse? Well, it's, it's the difference between... Well, frankly, our defense was terrible, but, you know... Th- they were so good at yards per pass. So the difference between Atlanta and Washington in yards per pass was the same difference between Washington at second and Kansas City at 17th. Wow. So they're just they're like... that much better. They're that... It, it's incredible. And for yards per rush, they were seventh. They tied for the fewest giveaways with the other Super Bowl team, the New England Patriots. They... I mean... It, what more do you want as an offense? They don't turn the ball. They turn the ball over 11 times in 16 games. I mean, that's amazing. Their scoring defense was not very good. They allowed 25 points per game, which was good for 27th best in the league. But it was a young defense. It was an exciting defense. They would get some pressure on the quarterback. And I think they sort of they were scoring so many points. I think when you're watching the games, even if the defense was playing terribly, which they did, you always felt like they were in the game. I mean, right. They were in every right. game. Right. I think if we look beyond just this year, and, and obviously their offense was incredible this year and, and has historically been very good. The two things that's, that stick out to me about the Falcons' culture, or I guess team style, one is high-powered offense, which we obviously saw this year. Yeah, and the other is partially from the Super Bowl and partially just from what I hear from my Falcon fans, friends of like this was what happened in the Super Bowl was not a one-time occurrence. That they are kind of like they're chokers. They're like a team that that like that chokes from time to time. I mean, they lost the in the game that caused the Bomani Jones rant. They scored a game, a touchdown to take the lead by one and then went for the two-point conversion and gave up the lead on the two-point because no, they mean, changed I, the rule. It's right, crazy. Right. I say that because but for what happened in the Super Bowl, I would say that the Chargers were the chokiest team of the 2016 season. I mean, they lost, I think, like six games that they that they led in the last like ten minutes of the game. I mean, to the same Chiefs. I think the Chargers were up like twenty one nothing against the Chiefs. I right. don't know how they even lost that game in Week One. So the Falcons did the most chargery thing they could have done in this in the Super Bowl. Definitely. So it's a little bit of a team style that I'm used to. That I'm, so do you remember when the Chargers guy intercepted the ball against the Patriots? Yes, and I, instead I, of falling down, oh, yeah, he <laughs> refumbled the ball. Marlon McCree. What? piece of shit it's not unbelievable had he just batted the ball down yeah it was it was, it was fourth, fourth down. down had he just batted the ball down we would have been fine 
Yeah. Oh my God. That was, that's the most chargery thing. That's, ever. that's, that's the most chargery thing ever. And the Falcons outchargered the Chargers in the Super Bowl. Yeah. They, they did. So in terms of style of play, I would be right at home with the Falcons. I would just, it would be like I didn't miss a beat, which is both a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, no, I, I love the high powered offense. Could stay in for a little bit more consistency, but 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 it's generally a style that I like. So uh, let's say seven out of ten. Okay, seven out of ten. The fifth best offense in NFL history. Oh, that's actually that's the second best score so far, other than the uh, the Cowboys. There you go. There you have but it. You love the Cowboys. You love that that potent running offense. Okay, number eleven. What is interesting about this fan base? At this point, we've covered the team for so long. We've I've talked about sort of how Arthur Blank came in. We certainly know things that have happened to affect this fan base. This is a fan base that being in Atlanta, they have their championship drought is currently 74 seasons or 21 years. And I think it's even worse because which ranks them sixth, by the way, of all cities, but it's even worse because they Atlanta has one championship in its history. So, which is insane. They have, 51 seasons of the Falcons, zero championships. 48 seasons of the Atlanta Hawks, who, by the way, the Atlanta Hawks have made the playoffs 66% of the time. The Atlanta Hawks have made the playoffs 32 times, no championships. And the Braves were just so good in the 90s. Yeah. They had yeah. all the pitchers. Let me, I'm looking at the sets right They made the playoffs. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. They made the playoffs in baseball 14 years in a row. That's insane. And just have one World Series to show for it. it which is, and I think the one they won, was this a strike shortened year in 95? Whatever. They are a team, they are a city that is like based on having good teams. It's not yeah. like these are mediocre teams. Yeah. These are good teams, but they never get it right. done. They right. never win the championships. Which puts a lot of context on that Super Bowl loss. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean we've it's, you know, like the Bomani Jones thing. I think if you're an Atlanta fan, it's it's sort of like the Chargers in the way that you're I mean, the Chargers have never won. So at least right. they've they won once. But I think it's even so sad because they won sort of at the beginning of their run of playoffs and they just they always lose. Right. right. Always lose. Right. It's interesting because as as bad as it's been to be a Charger fan. And as bad as up to this point, it's been to be a Falcons fan. It's just going to get so much worse. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking about this, Dan, and I, I want you, okay, so this Super Bowl was Super Bowl 51, right? Yeah. What, what would you guess is the first Super Bowl where they won't talk about this comeback? Oh. Where it won't, well, it's the only overtime Super Bowl, and it's certainly going to be the first where, one. Where, where it won't be mentioned if not heavily in passing. Well, the one thing is if any time there's a Super Bowl where a team takes a lead, they'll say, well, you know, it's not quite over yet. Football will be played by robots. (sighs) Other than Matt Ryan. Football, they will still be talking about this. Because you're right. If it's a close game, they can say, oh, well, it'll be like the overtime Super Bowl. And if it's a blowout, they're going to say, well, it's not over. And the one pain that I know so well as a Charger fan is... There was like a run where it felt like every record was broken against the Chargers. And you have to watch over and over again on SportsCenter, like like Peyton Manning completing a pass. And it's like, you know, some shitty Charger cornerback, like trying to bat it down in the air. And 
And that's what the Falcons fans are going to have. I I wouldn't, unless they win it, unless they win it in like the next couple of years, yeah. I would stop watching Super Bowls if I were a Falcons fan. Now, one thing that I think is really exciting for the Falcons fans. So if you've got the redemption story, here it is. The Falcons are hosting the Super Bowl <laughs> in, so the Super Bowl next year is going to be hosted in Minnesota, which seems pretty strange. But the next year after that, the Super Bowl will be in Atlanta. So that would be the ultimate redemption story. <laughs> if See, no team has ever won the Super Bowl in their home right. stadium. If the Falcons could win the Super Bowl in their home stadium, then that that's the ultimate redemption story. But if they lose the Super Bowl in their own stadium, oh. Ultimate shame. Ugh. The Super Bowl is going to be so brutal for any Falcons fan next year. I mean, wa- watching it, it would ju- it's just going to be torture unless they're in it and competitive. It's still going to be torture. If they're in it, <laughs> right, it, right. If they're in it, it's going to be more torture because it'll just be a constant conversation. And about, even if they're up, there's no amount that can be up no. where it's not going to be like 40 because, to nothing in the fourth quarter. And they say, well, look, they're going to be up by 20. Cause you know, in football, obviously you can't, it's going to be like 21, nothing. And then people are going to be like, and then the other team's going to run one. Like they're going to gain like 25 yards on a play. And it's like, up oh, here. It's, if it's they're happening. up, if they're up 40 to nothing with one minute left, they will bring like a physicist into the booth to talk about like the nature of time <laughs> And how possible. it's possible. Well, if there's if if there's a black hole, then you know it's going to be brutal next year. And I and and they're not going to get to the Super Bowl. That's going to be the sad part. They're, they might not even make the playoffs. Well, as I said earlier, it's only two outcomes. Yeah, it's only two outcomes. If if they make the Super Bowl, I know they're going to win it because that's the only other outcome that's possible at that point. Uh, oh, unless the outcome was them losing again, that would be a real shit burger for them. Let's just say the fan culture is forever changed. By that game. It's got to be. Yeah, of course. And that would be that just as as a prospective fan is a really tough thing to sign up for. I, frankly, I think if they're like when you post this, no Atlanta fans even going to make it this far. This is too painful. Like if you're an actual Atlanta Absolutely. fan, you can't listen to this. Yeah. No. The minute they hear I say the word Super Bowl, they're like, <laughs> I, 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 I'm sorry. I'm watching the, the Atlanta football club. Yeah. Game. <laughs> Atlanta yeah. United, Joe. See, they have a clean slate. Well, when we do, uh, Joe picks a uh, MLS team. We can talk about the uh, Joe picks an East Eastern Conference MLS team. Yeah, this is it's got to be a three out of ten. You're not. It's not like the the ones where like you really like the bad boys, but you you don't like the just tortured sadness. It's it's just too tortured, and, and the wound is still open and festering. And I'd be like, I'm gonna jump on in there. That's I tough. think it's more fun just That's to tough. be miserable. But I've had I've I've had thirty five years of misery. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Give me well, a I'm break. Not think, I don't think the Falcons are miserable. It's just like there's something. Ugh, I don't know. It's not like the Browns. Anyways, wow. Right, but a little bit like the Jets. Is it is it better to be the Browns where you just are terrible, or to be like right on the edge, like you're great it's, but you're just not good enough? It's better to be the Falcons unless the next ten years are going to be the same as the last ten years, and they get tantalizingly close and then blow it. In which case, it's that's the worst. I remember though being a Charger fan, and the thing that killed me, I we had Marty Schottenheimer as our coach. I went fourteen and two and got fired. And at the time, I mean, it ended up being a disaster because we hired Norv Turner. I was kind I of. I remember this summer <laughs> yeah. well. I remember talking to you about this. I was kind of okay with firing Marty 
Schottenheimer because he had this knock against him that he couldn't win in the playoffs. And it proved to be true, which of course was ridiculous. He was a good coach. He's probably just very unlucky, but it was like, I was, as a fan, I was so sick of the monkey being on our back of like, it was all the media would talk about. It, we had a great team, favorite going to the games, and it was just like, well, Marty Schottenheimer can't do it. And it's like a it. self-perpetuating cycle. Right. And it's just, it's boring as a fan. It's actually painful as a fan. And it does, I think, get into teams' heads. All right. Three out of 10. Three out of 10. That's, it's if low. We keep talking, I'm going to lower it. So we, we no. can move on okay. for them, for their sake. Okay. And Joe, finally... We're done talking about it. Atlanta fans, tune in. We're back. We're just going to rate the drink, Joe. The fuzzy cola, which this, is this Coca-Cola is, and peach schnapps. We don't have to belabor it. This is the best drink we've had yet. Yeah. You drank it. We both, by the time we got to number four, we were both done. I, I refilled is, mine a little bit. This, this, this drink is fantastic. Yeah. It's I, this is, they this should is, market this as a new flavor of Coke. That's a good Wait, idea. Joe, cut this from that's, the podcast. Patent pending. Because it's an alcoholic version of Coke, but it's not. It's very low. It's like a beer. I'm serving this drink apart. This is this drink is 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 being added to my list of just like evening drinks. And you gave it to your wife, who was briefly down here. She loved it. Right. She couldn't take it away. She just drank the whole thing. And she hates everything. Yeah, including was, us recording this podcast <laughs> on her kitchen table. It was great. I'm gonna be drinking this again. I feel like nice and caffeinated. It's perfect. I mean, ten out of ten. Come on. Oh I'm not going to I'm not going to mess around. This is the best drink we're going to have on this whole podcast. Joe. I hope everyone listening pours himself uh what is this even called again? Fuzzy cola. Can we just give the ingredients people? It's one fifth peach schnapps. Yeah, five fifths. parts coke. Yes. Although, put in the peach schnapps to taste. Yeah. Perfect. Joe. Wow. I I really thought you were going to come in with an animus against the Falcons just because we had hyped this podcast up, and you know, for those of you at home, it's obviously been it's going to be a week and a half in between podcasts and even longer since we recorded them. And I thought with all of this time, you were just going to come up with all these excuses to ding the Falcons. But no, they're the highest score yet, Joe. Wow. 82, ding, 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 ding. They are above the Cowboys at 79.5. They are above the Eagles at 71.5. I mean, they're blowing them away. It's Falcons 82. Cowboys 79.5, and then we're in a whole lower tier. I mean, hopefully the Falcons don't blow it. Yeah. I, 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 oh, can't, no, think of, I can't think of what can go wrong for them. Joe, no, don't even say that. See, now you're, it's becoming a self-perpetuating cycle. Don't say that. I should cut that out. Should we, should, we, should we play it to the end, or should we just say that the Falcons win? I mean, I can't imagine them being up by this much wait, Joe, and then not winning in the end. Wait, you're saying I we could just it. not do any more podcasts? That would be great. They're up by, they're that up would by, be like me winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> they're up by so much, I can't, I can't imagine what can go wrong. Okay, so Joe, unfortunately, I mean, unless you want to violate the rules, you've got to put them in the no bucket and just save the, the, the agony or the maybe bucket. I mean, they're clearly a maybe. They're moving on to the Sweet 16. All right, wow, wow. I mean, if there is seeding, which there almost certainly will be, they're going to be a top seed. How could they not be? They might. Even if we have more than 16 teams, they'll probably be getting a bye, which will just make it even more heartbreaking (laughs) when they eventually lose. Wow. Joe, so exciting. 82. What a podcast. Congratulations. How much fun this has been live. But we now we have one last piece of business, which we haven't had to do in such a long time. Everyone's favorite part of the podcast. Where we're going to pick, I'm going to pick two new teams in the hope that the next time we do it, we do a double header. So, uh, we haven't picked new teams in so long. I've forgotten the <laughs> excitement of it. 
Okay, Joe, something good. Something good. Oh, wow. Joe. What is it? The New York Giants and the Seattle Seahawks, Joe. The very... Wow. You know so much about Seattle Seahawks fan culture. In fact, you might be... You might not have to reverse positions here. Yeah, those are those are two exciting teams. And, and, and the Seahawks, I know we have a lot of listeners that have just been asking the question forever, why not just root for the Seahawks? Yeah, well... We're going to talk about it. All those questions in the future, just forward them to what I'm sure will be another two-hour-long podcast. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, so folks... Email us. You know, yes. Go to joepickspod.com or just email us at nfl at joepickspod.com. Email us about the New York football giants. Email us about the Seattle Seahawks. Email us about the Atlanta Falcons. Email us something. Tell us a review of what you think about the podcast. Anything. Tell us how you thought the live show was. Yeah. All right, Joe. All right, later, Dan. See ya.